over again. So we're going with what I got. Um, so Scott's obviously spent the last few weeks talking about the vision for Abundant Life Joplin. And it's a framework for who we are as a church and what we believe God wants to do in and through this body. Um, so I'm going to read through some highlights, I guess we'll say real quick, so we get on the same page with everything. Um, so the first thing is to preach Jesus everywhere we go, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be kingdom-minded, to expand the kingdom, to walk in the miraculous, to engage in spiritual warfare, to demonstrate heaven on earth, and to operate within the fivefold ministry, with a mission of loving people, transforming lives, and a vision to introduce people to a Jesus many have only heard of and to see them grow into the maturity in Christ. You know that uh, accomplishing this vision isn't up to Scott and me, just in case that like blows any minds here, right? That like it's not our responsibility as pastors to grow this church. That's not on us, right? So we're going to start today, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Um, I planted the church, and Apollos came and cared for it, but it was God who caused it to grow. This means that the one who plants is not anybody special, nor the one who waters, for God is the one who brings the supernatural growth. Now the one who plants and the one who waters are equally important and on the same team but each will be rewarded for his own work. So it's God's job to grow this church, right? That pressure isn't on any one of us, and it's not our responsibility. Our job as pastors is equi to equip you to do the work of the ministry, right? So we're going to turn to Ephesians 4, and we're going to spend a little bit of time of Ephesians today, well, a bunch, because I've been reading Ephesians for months now, and I just love it. So Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles, and some with grace to be prophets, and some with grace to be evangelists, and some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness into the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to be, mm, sorry, what it means to know the Son of God. And finally, we will become one in a perfect man with full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Christ. So what you do with that equipping is up to you that when I get to heaven, I'm not going to stand before God and say, him say, like, oh, Janet did such and such with what you taught, right? That's not on me. My responsibility is in the teaching and the leading and decisions. What you do with that is up to you. That's for between you and God. That he's not going to hold me accountable for your actions or your inactions. He's going to hold you accountable for that. So each of us have a purpose in this church. You know that God doesn't choose a remnant by accident. You're not like the leftovers, right? That you're, you're here on purpose for a purpose. You aren't the last men and women standing that you were chosen by God for such a time as this. Each of you has a part to play in the future of this church and the present of it. 
right? That we each have something to do now, and it's not to warm a seat, that that's not the purpose of it. So today we're gonna talk about what part that is in two parts. Um, one is what part we have corporately, so as a body all together, that we have a part to play in bringing about the vision of God. And the second part is individually. What do each of us individually have to do? What's our part? And then we're going to talk about how we do that a little bit. So if you want to stay in Ephesians, turn over to chapter 2, verse 10. So Ephesians 2, 10. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given for each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we will do in order to fulfill it. That, you know, your job is simply to do what God asks you to do. That's it, right? Like, if we're going to boil down faith into anything, it's simply do what God asks you to do with the right heart. I guess we should add that, right? Because you can go dragging your feet, but let's do it with the right heart. All right, Ephesians 1.11 Ephesians 1.11. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny, that we will fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan on his heart. So before you were born, God appointed you to do something specific, that you have a destiny in Christ, each and every one of us. And then my last Ephesians verse for the moment, Ephesians 4, 16. Ephesians 4, 16. For his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together, constantly connected as one. And every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. So did you catch that? Every single member has been given a divine gift. And I think every one of us has natural gifts, right? We have things that we're naturally good at. And then we have things that were divinely deposited in us. The moment you accept, accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit came inside of you, those gifts were activated. And you have a choice whether or not to walk in that, right? To cooperate with God in it. So part of our purpose as a corporate body is to usher in the presence of God. Though God corrected me during worship today, it's not to usher it in because God's presence is already here. It's for us to enter in to the presence of God, right? So our purpose corporately is to enter into the presence of God. And that's done through prayer and worship. That those corporate anointings exist for us to like go into the throne room corporately. And during that time when you like turn your whole being to God, your spirit, your soul, and your body, and you enter into his presence, man, amazing things happen. That, like, that presence changes things like nothing else. So in Psalm 104 and 5, it says, you can pass through his open gates with a password of praise. Come right into his presence with thanksgiving. Come bring your thank offering to him and affectionately bless his beautiful name. The, like, uh, praise is like the the door, right? That's like what we enter into his presence. And that's why we start off the service with praise and worship, because that allows us to like walk in, right? That's our, our entrance. And in some ways, that's us turning our attention to 
I'm running late, the traffic is crazy, the, you know, I need gas, whatever it is, that which allows us to turn our attention into his presence. And miracles happen in the presence of God. People are healed, set free, and delivered. Man, one of my favorite things is people receive words from God that allow them to, like, carry through the hard times. You ever gotten a word from God and you're like, man, I needed that. Like, I needed to know that right now, whatever that was. Um, or sometimes it's propel you to a new area of growth and impact. Your prayers and worship allow other people to enter into that place. That that's what's so important about it, right? This isn't just about us going into the presence of God, but corporately, together, allows other people who may not know how to do that yet, allows them to enter in. And that's why it's so critical that, like, we don't just sing songs. This was Scott's Dolan's sermon. Um, we don't just sing songs to, like, sing songs, right? This isn't, like, just, oh, it'd be nice to get together. That was so weird. Can you imagine? Like, I'm not a karaoke person. So that, to me, is, like, the weirdest gathering ever, that, like, as adults get together and sing songs. It just doesn't make sense to me. That's, like, a kid thing. But worship is, I mean, Karen, Karen's all for it. I do have no musical abilities. So, um, but that's not, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter how we sing. I have no sense of rhythm whatsoever. I can't dance, like any of that. None of that matters to God. What he matters is our heart. That we worship God because he's due all of our praise and worship. That everything we have, everything we will have, everything we are is because of him. So when you reframe worship time to see it as God sees it, it allows us as a church to experience God's presence in a new way. Because we come together corporately to enter that in for people who can't do it on their own yet. And through that, it's like, I don't know, some things can't be taught from here, right? I can't, like, explain to you how to do that. But you can, like, catch it, I guess is the way I've heard it explained before, right? Like, you can experience it and other people can help bring you to that place so that you can then learn how to do it for yourself. And that's the power of corporate prayer and corporate worship. So um, <laughs> this is one of my like things. Scott and I have visited a lot of churches and some of them are not my favorite worship. Like, let's just be honest, right? We all have our like parts of music that we like and sometimes we don't. And it doesn't matter because it's not about the songs that we sing or um, I don't know, the style of music or anything like that. Worship's a heart thing. And so it doesn't, it doesn't matter to God what songs are being sung. It's if in that moment your heart is with him. Um, I'm a super visual thinker, right? Like they say some people think in pictures and some people think in words. And I am pictures all the way. When someone says something, I think it in my mind. Um, and I like see that. So for me, worship is when I like close my eyes and I'm intentional about worship, Worship is me standing before the throne of God, right? Like, I'm there in that moment. And really, even in Ephesians, it talks about it like in the spirit, we are there, that we're in Christ, right? Seated in heavenly places. And so um, it's that like already but not yet. Have you ever heard that? We heard a great message years ago about that, like that we are already some things and yet not yet because our spirit and our body are, you know, there's like a division of kind. So anyway, we are currently already seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so when we engage in worship, we're in heaven with God, worshiping. Can you think about it? Like, they, we've lost several people over the last year that were really close to us. And there are times in worship that, like, I'm conscious of the fact that they're there. 
right? Because they're in heaven worshiping God. And when we're engaged in worship at that level, we're in heaven worshiping with them, worshiping with angels, that we're standing before the throne of God. Um, and so know that, like, man, if God was here right now, how would you act? What would that look like? Because he is, right? God's here right now. His presence is here right now filling this place. And so when we're worshiping, we need to be con- cognizant of that, that it doesn't, um, don't let anything distract from the fact that of what's the importance of that moment. We need to reverence worship because he's so worthy. Where we're going as a church body, God is going to require you to go deeper than you've ever gone before. And it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, there's always more. It's one of my favorite things about God, right? There's always more. There's always more you can learn. There's always more, like, deeper that you can go, that there is no such thing as glory days with God. You ever heard a bunch of guys, like, sit around and talk about, you know, back in high school, this, that, and the other? Oh, it's a whole different thing, I'm telling you. When, like, girls talk about it, when guys talk about it, it's like, there's a difference in glory days, right? Like, this is, this is when life was good. But that's not a thing with God. It's not when life was good. Life is getting better and better and better that we're going from glory to glory. And so a day that we get to look back and say, remember when, doesn't exist because he always has more for us, always. You know, um, I think about sometimes how people can read this book as a book, right? That the, like, the Bible is just, the words that they read. And sometimes it's how we learn about God, but spending time in his presence is how we know God, right? I could read a book about my husband, and it's not going to tell me the look that he makes when he doesn't like the food that he's eating, right? Like, that does not come across. And he'll tell me it's a lie, but I know the truth. I've been married too long. So know that, like, there are things that you learn just by being in someone's presence, that you get to know them. And so um, this is, it's deeper than head knowledge. If you knew all the facts about the people that you care about, you still wouldn't really know them, right? Like, I might know that Charlie likes purple and, you know, that she was born in Texas and, like, know a list of facts. That doesn't mean I know her. I just know about her. The girls and I spent this week learning about Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, and I could tell you some extremely random facts about them, but I still don't know them. I've never met them, right? Those are just things I know about them. And so when we spend time in God's presence, we get to know him and not just know about him. Our proximity to God will determine whether where this church can go and what we can experience in services. And that's done corporately here and individually at home, right? That like closeness to God. So we're going to talk a little bit about the individual part to play in a vision, which I promise will not end in a request for you to volunteer, because that's a pet peeve. So uh, if you want to turn to Ephesians 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11. He has appointed some with grace to be apostles, and some with grace to be prophets, and some with grace to be evangelists, and some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers, and their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of the ministry. I know you said we just read that, but I promise you it's important, right? Because it, like, I just want to emphasize the fact that you have a work of the ministry to do. That's your individual work. Ministry is work. Uh, That's one of the sayings that we got at Rhema, that ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. 
right? And that, like, man, there is a work side of ministry that things don't get done unless we put our hands to them. Um, but it's also how we live our lives, that ministry is how we interact with the people around us. It's how we minister to God no matter where we are or what we're doing. Ministry is just part of how we live that out. And you have a, a work to do in ministry. You know, the church is described as the body of Christ, and each part of your body has a different job, right? I might spend too much time with kids, but think me for a second. If, uh, how ridiculous would it be if you tried to eat with your knees or smell with your elbows, right? Like, it just would not work. See, Peter's laughing. He sees it with me. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous. It wouldn't work. <laughs> Not smell his elbow, smell with his elbow. So in the same way, we each have a specific job that God has given us within the body. We have a part to play, and each part is vitally important. You know when Scott lost his fingers, um, <laughs> he, like, he drops things all the time, and it drives me crazy. Like, just learn to use your other hand. But like, you'll hand him keys, and they'll just fall to the floor, right? Because he has fingers that his brain thinks are still there, and it's like goes to catch stuff. And they're just fingers. Like, there's just two of them. You got to eat more. It's okay. But he misses them, right? Like, <laughs> I have so much sympathy. I know. Um, <laughs> but, like, even in, like, running a chainsaw and using a hammer, just in fingers, there are things that have, like, shifted in his life because just two fingers are gone. And if I'm going to think about vital organs, they are not two of my middle fingers. Like, that is not, if I'm going to hold on to things, I want my heart, I want my lungs. I want my stomach, like there are things that I want. Fingers, eh, take it or leave it, it's okay. <laughs> but he'll tell you they are vitally important. You know, we have gaps in the body when people aren't in the place God designed for them. And sometimes it takes rearranging to get from where you have been to where God wants you to be, right? Sometimes there's a shift or a move that needs to happen. And other times it takes stepping up to a new place that may not be comfortable. Right? And some of us have had that, that like sometimes you, you need to move and do something different. So to accomplish this vision, we need to be a whole body with every member in its right place functioning at full capacity. No broken fingers or crushed toes, that we need to be healed and whole in every area of our lives so we can fully serve in the position God has for us. I know as a spirit-filled, word-of-faith people, that talking about physical healing is really important and totally part of like what we believe, right? But there is also something to be said for emotional healing and mental healing and spiritual healing that like you need to be fully able to step into what God has for you because you're fully healed in those areas, right? You can be completely healed physically and have a wrong response to somebody because of past emotional hurts. And so know that, like, when we talk about full healing, that we're not just talking about your body functioning as it can, as it should, that it's how your God designed your mind to be, how your thinking should be, how your emotions respond. All of those things are so important because when people walk through that door, they're not, like, man, they may not act like we want them to act. And they may not say things that, like, we want them to say. We learned last night about, like, being flooded, right? Like, when someone's saying something to you and you just shut down because you cannot pay for your like one more word, I'm just done. And part of that comes from like us needing to be emotionally healed in areas that trigger us right now. And to know that that's super important too. Obviously being part of a growing church, which is my choice word, that we're not a small church, we're a growing church, right? 
um, that growing church means that there are so many people, there are only so many people at this point. But my word from God is that abundant life has abundance in every area, that we have no lack. And that includes every area or opening that we have right now, that God would fill it with the perfect person, the person who is uh, spirit-led and able to serve to the full capacity of what they need. You know, sometimes it can be easy and to sit back and think someone else will do that. But the question should be, is God asking me to do that? Right? We don't want any person serving in an area where they are not fully called, equipped, and graced to do. That does not end well for anyone, right? Like, so let's let the question be, is God asking me to do that? So um, all I'm asking is that you ask God what your part in this church is. What does he want you to do right now in this season? And note that it's okay that it doesn't stay forever, right? Ms. Bell talked about in the early days of the church how she served in kids because God told her to serve in kids. And then, yeah, her grace was lifted to serving kids. And that's okay, right? Like God had her there for a season. And to know that you're not making lifelong commitments to God to do something. You're agreeing to do what he asks when he asks you to do it. And that's it. That's all they are. Um, I, uh, Everyone has a part to play. I love that Todd and Kathy were inviting people to church in the hospital. That's like one of my highlights of the month. I think it's awesome because you know what? No matter where you are, no matter what's going on, that you have a part to play in this church. So the how, the how we do things, is working together in unity. If you guys have been to prayer on Thursday nights, you know, almost every week I pray for, pray for unity because I think that it's, it's critical to where we're going as a church, right? And I think especially with a church um, history like this church, that praying for unity is so critically important, that there is so much power in unity that's hard for us to understand. We're going to turn to Genesis 11, the very beginning. Genesis 11, and I'm going to read verse 1 to 6. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let's let us build a city and tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that humans were building. The Lord said if they had begun to do this as one people, having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. It says in the Passion, if they had begun to do this as one people, sharing a common language, then nothing they plan to do, plan to do, will be impossible for them. That's a power of unity, right? And in that story, it's in the negative, right? It's people deciding what they want to do to make themselves famous. But that same principle works if we decide what we're going to cooperate with God and do what he wants to do in order to make himself famous. That nothing's impossible. Being united in purpose can propel us to a new level and impact this community for the kingdom in ways we can't even imagine. But even a little bit of division will kill what God's trying to do. It says in Ephesians 4, 3 and 6, be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace, being one body 
and one spirit, as you are called from the same glorious hope of the divine destiny. For the Lord God is one, and so are we. For we share in one faith, one baptism, and one Father. And he's the perfect Father who leads us all, works through us all, and lives in us all. That I can live in complete unity with somebody when I recognize and respond to the God in them instead of their human nature. That that's someone that God knit together in their mother's womb, right? That's someone that God loves so much that Jesus died for. And if that person has made Jesus their savior, then it's someone that you're going to spend eternity with. That years ago, Scott and I went to this church in Mississippi, and there was this older woman there who I just loved dearly. She just cracked me up all the time. And we went to this women events once, and there was some, I don't know, let's call them flaky people there, right? And she turns to me with a sweet smile on her face and, like, very southern accent, and she said, you know, sometimes I say to God, I'm going to have to spend all of eternity with that person. And I think that sometimes, like, man, we are stuck together for eternity. And sometimes I have a trouble seeing that as a hard, like, a good thing, right? That, like, not everybody in their human nature is going to be your favorite person. But that's not the point. The point is that everybody in their God nature is going to be with you forever. So even more than being together for eternity, someone who has the Holy Spirit living and dwelling on the inside of them. That when I look at you, it's God in you, right? Like, man, that's the miracle of the gospel right there, that it isn't just us coming to God, but it's God living in us. It's someone with the same power who raised Christ from the dead living in them. And it's someone who's called and anointed and equipped and graced to do the work of the ministry, just like you, right? That's like, man, every single person has a purpose. And sometimes it's easy to look at people that we don't know and just kind of let it go. Like, it doesn't matter. That person is too far gone, whatever it is. But God has called that person, just like you and me. When I see you, I need to see you through that lens, that you were made by God on purpose, for a purpose, and have the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in you. Whether you like green or purple, the chiefs or God help you, the cowboys, If you eat meat or only vegetables, whatever it is, none of that matters in the light of who you are in Christ, right? That's what really matters, that we can disagree on all kinds of different things. We can irritate each other to no end in our human form, but what really matters is who you are deep down on, like, the God side of you, that we need to see each person who walks through the door in that way, that they are chosen anointed and appointed by God, and more than that, their family. I, so I don't know about you guys. I know there are some families uh, where dysfunction looks like very loud fights or brawls or, you know, screaming matches or whatever it is. I grew up in a fairly, let's say, waspy family where dysfunction looks like whispering behind each other's backs in, like, the same room, right? And sometimes, as Christians, I think that's what our dysfunction looks like, that we know how we're supposed to act, And sometimes we just choose to do it quietly because then it doesn't really count, right? And that's, (laughs) yeah, but it's true, right? Like, I'm just going to tell you guys real quick, and we're just done, and we're going to stop talking about it. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Just pray about it. Just pray about it. But, man, that's just as much a dysfunctional family as screaming matches, right? That's not unity. That's not seeing each other as God sees us. The spirit of division 
is not going to be tolerated in this church, that like that's not part of who we are going forward, that even those little moments, those like side whispers of how someone frustrates you, and trust me, I get it, I totally do, we're all human, right? We all have ways that we frustrate each other, but that's not what we need to focus on. We have way too much to do to let anything divide us, and that we have way too much to do to take offense. You know that offense is a choice, right? The devil presents you with opportunities to be offended, and you get to choose whether or not. Yes, every day, all the time, Sid, and you don't, you don't have to take it. Like, that's it, right? Um, that we, if we're going to accomplish our vision of introducing people to Jesus many have heard of, only heard of, then we need to walk in complete unity, and that means you have to choose not to be offended. That when someone irritates you, you just let it go. I told a friend last night, she was like, how, are, how was your day? I said, well, I'm going to be talking about offense tomorrow at church, and I had plenty of opportunities to be offended. Like, that's just, that's how it works, right? And we get to choose whether or not to, um, to walk in that. You get to choose to forgive whether or not someone asks for forgiveness. And sometimes I think that's the hardest thing, because we've been taught that someone needs to say, I'm sorry, in order for you to forgive them. That's not true. That's not how it works, right? I can forgive someone who has never apologized to me. I can forgive someone who I may never see again, whatever it is. I love the saying that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? That that's like, I don't, yeah, it is. Because I, like, man, I don't want that. Like, I don't want anything killing me like that, right? Stopping it. And so when we choose unity, it's an act of obedience to God, that it's choosing to say that my feelings don't matter as much as God's will. Does everyone here know it's God's will for us to forgive each other, to walk in love, to walk in unity, right? And so we know that's his will. And so when we choose unity, it means that we choose to follow God in that area. And often it means letting go of the past. You know, um, I love how in Micah 7.19, it says, he shall have, again, have compassion on us. He will subdue and tread underfoot our wickedness, destroying sin's power. Yes, you will cast all of our seas, all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You know, when God lets go of something, it's gone forever, right? And sometimes we can forgive someone, and yet it just keeps coming up. Like when we see that person, that's what we see and we think of over and over again. We have to be willing for each other to just forget it and let it go. And sometimes that, like, it's just a choice that we make. And it's sometimes it's a choice that we make over and over and over again until the devil stops bringing it up to our attention, that I will choose to walk in forgiveness. So we are rounding the end here. If you guys want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13. <clears throat> um, love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not 
easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honestly and finds no delight in what's wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best in others. You know, so often when we get offended, um, it's because we're not believing the best in what someone else is doing, right? That a lot of times we get offended because we're assuming that we know what someone else meant or assuming what they should have done or assuming what they should have said or they meant to say or there's a whole lot of assuming. And um, a lot, it's not believing the best in them, it's believing the worst, right? It's they, they were awful to me. They, you know, meant to do this, they meant to do that. But love never stops believing the best. Even when you're hurt, even when you're frustrated, even when you're tired, that love always believes the best. I love, um, I don't remember who it was, who talked about reading this passage and putting your name in there. And it's kind of a gauge for where you are that, uh, you know, that it sounds weird to say it in that way, but like Dara does not brag about one's own achievements or inflate her own importance. If you read through 1 Corinthians 13 and put your name in there, what does that describe you? Because it should, right? That like we, we have God's love living in us, that that's a fruit of the spirit. It's part of what needs to come out of us. And so um, love chooses to see the best in everyone. If we're going to walk in the miraculous in this church, then we need to constantly choose to see the best in everyone. We need to constantly choose to not take offense. And we need to constantly choose to walk in unity, allowing our unified vision to repel us towards the things that God has for us. Can I be the first to say that, like, Scott and I will irritate you, and we will make a decision that you don't like, and there will be sarcasm that comes out of our mouths that will not be well-received sometimes. That is like, that's just part of who we are, right? And um, that's not, I don't know. You, get, you have a choice on what to do with that. And you have a choice whether or not to be here to follow God. Those are choices that you get to make. If you want, if you believe that God has you in this church, and if you believe that uh, going forward that you have a part to play, then you get to choose to let our humanity kind of slip to the side, right? Um, so we're going to, my last verse, uh, I'm going to talk about Mark 11, uh, 23 and 24. And Scott and I call this the Rhema verse that uh, if you don't know, Rhema is like, this is their, I don't know, their vision verse. It's what they stand on. And some, one day we were in a Baptist church and someone read this verse and I was like, they can't say that. That's a Rhema verse. But anyway, um, but <laughs> it's really good. So listen to the truth I speak to you. Whoever says to this mountain with great faith and does not doubt, mountain be lifted up and thrown into the midst of the sea and believes that, he, uh, that what he says will happen, it will be done. And so often in churches, that's where we stop because, man, that's really good, right? Like the power of your tongue and what you say and the world that you can create and the faith that you have, that's a really good place. We should just stop there. But it goes on, same sentence. Um, whenever you stand praying, if you find that you carry something in your heart against another person, release him and forgive him, so your Father in heaven will also release and forgive you of your faults. And that's a, like, that's a combined thought. The word and is in there, right? So that, that power that we want, the faith power that we want in our life, that's dependent on our ability to forgive. And it's dependent on our ability to walk in unity together, to not hold things against other people. So um, 
we're going to take some time. Uh, we're going to play one last song. And I want you to really get with God and think about, are there things that you need to release? Are there people that, things that you need to let go? And can we just say that, like, sometimes things are from a really long time ago, and we have been holding on to them for far too long. And maybe they don't come up in your daily life, but it's still there, and that's going to hold you back on what God has for you. That God has a plan and a purpose for us corporately and you individually, and he has a vital role for you to play. But in order to step into that, you need to release the things you've been holding on to. And so that's what we're going to take a few minutes to do. Um, Scott's going to play a song that Karen may or may not sing to, whatever she feels led to do. Um, and so it's the one at the end. Um, precious love, Karen says. Yeah. And I want you guys to just take a few minutes and, you know, that God isn't going to peel those things out of your hand, right? That you have to let them go. It's like a choice to open your hand and let them go.